Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy, uh, I, I mean, we're officially in, underway in basketball season, so that's pretty happy. Yeah, that's a thing. Let's go with that. I, uh, can't think of anything else that might be, like, top of mind for, for happy week. Happy SoCon SEC Challenge week. Oh, yes. <laughs> Always, always great for those of us who uh, rely on the SEC in large part to, uh, you know, have interesting stuff happen. It's a great, great state of games for them. It's a wacky week in general. I, because uh, like I have like my one article a week that I usually do over at the comeback, and I was like, eh, like usually there's like a storyline because I try to avoid like the popular storylines and like try to go for something a little bit more under the radar. But like I was looking around and I'm like, shit, I got nothing. Um, just like looking just at the games themselves, um, and I think a, a large part of that was the uh, the SoCon challenge and the fact that you know most of the SEC wasn't really facing anyone. Um, there's still not a ton of um, like big games on this weekend. I know uh, as much as I support Western Michigan getting game day this week, I uh, I do wish that it had been Washington State Colorado because I think the novelty of that uh, is just as much if not more so. Uh, versus the novelty of being Kalamazoo. Well, there was your weekly uh, Dan can't get his stipend muted, <laughs> um, which literally happens, I think, every time you you know talk to me for the first time. That's fine. Um, yeah, no, I, I write a thing. Uh, we've done a couple weeks in a row just kind of projecting where game day will go every week uh, from here on out. And both weeks I thought it would be Colorado, Wazoo, um, with maybe West Virginia, Oklahoma, um, and yeah, they threw this, the the screwball. I, I mean, I'm I'm happy for Western Michigan. That should be an interesting uh, an interesting game day. I, I'm excited for them to inevitably talk uh, to PJ Fleck, which will be fun. But uh, going to Colorado would have been pretty cool, considering you know they, they're they're definitely one of the best stories of the year. Just how how far they've come, uh, and they lend hope to those pro, those of us who root for programs that uh, haven't been very good for a while. And, say, and Colorado's in, in a way. Colorado has been, like, a way worse place than Syracuse, too. Like, they've been straight down. Like, they haven't even had, like, a decent year here and there like we have. So, yeah, it's uh, – either way, I mean, it's 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 a weird week, and sometimes that's what game day does. They'll either go to, like, a, a D3 game. I think they went to, like, Williams and uh, – what's – Williams and Amherst a couple times. And they went to, I think, uh, Harvard-Yale one year. So, I, I support that, too. Um, but – uh. Yeah, would have been cool to see them going to Colorado, but uh, if Colorado stays playing the way they have, I mean, there will be more opportunities in the next couple of years. They haven't been there since 96, I remember. I looked it up. Wow. There you go. Um, all right. Now the reason most people are listening to this podcast, um, Syracuse. Uh, this is the first uh, football-basketball episode of the season. Uh, there will be at least two more of these, uh, maybe more depending on how these next two games go for Syracuse football. Um, nonetheless, Dan, we jump in with injuries. Um, injuries have not been kind to, uh, to Syracuse this year. Uh, Eric Dungy headlines the group, but, but do you have a second worst injury uh, in a season filled with them? Uh, it's tough after that. I mean, I, I'd probably... I mean, if Steve Ishmael's down, that's not great. I think you can overcome it considering um, how, you know, deep the receiving core has been. Um, I would say it's just got to be the – and this is a total top answer, not to think one person, but, like, just the whole array of offensive line injuries has probably been the biggest one because um, that's kind of her dungeon and what he can do. Uh, that, I think, even makes even more of an impact on Mahoney, who's, you know, not as quick to release the ball and is a little different of a quarterback. Um and it's thrust just like very inexperienced players into the uh, into the fray here. So uh, I think that's the answer. Um, but I mean, you can you can pull injuries out of a hat with this uh, 
with how this year is going. It's all over the place. Hello. Oh, sorry, Dan. Oh, you pulled a me. I did pull you, except I <laughs> I just consciously muted a mic and then forgot that I didn't unmute it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I think for me, the uh, I agree with you on the offensive line assessment. I think when you look at um, individual players, it's tough to necessarily think that um, a Juwan Dells or uh, an Antoine Cordy or you know Cordell Hudson when he was out for a little bit. Um, or various other players, and Stephen Clark's now after the season, that any of them would have been able to overcome uh, the adjustments that are being uh, demanded on defense. Um, obviously, you know, we've discussed the defense all season as, as a group that definitely hasn't, hasn't had an easy time of, of changing its, its thinking, its philosophy. The linebackers, and they were the most talented group to begin with, have done a nice job of, uh, of kind of shifting over time, and you can thank Zaire Franklin, I think most importantly for that, um, but nonetheless, yeah, I don't think any of the defensive injuries um, put a, take as much of a toll on this team uh, overall as, as the linemen. You know, Colin Byrne seems like he's probably not going to be playing the rest of the season uh, based on the hit to the head that he took. Um, you saw in the second half uh, the amount of pressure that uh, you know Zach Mahoney was under right up the middle. Um, as a result, you know you had Donnie Foster kind of coming in as the, the third string center uh, when you think about the fact that Byrne was a backup. Uh, and it, that didn't go well. It's not nothing against Foster. It's just the situation he was put in. Um, you know, Cody Conway was out for uh, a couple of weeks. Omari Palmer's missed a ton of time. Emmerich, obviously, a uh, career-ending um, injury, surgery. Not the severity. Don't want to oversell that. Um, was just because he was in his final year of eligibility. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'd have to go with you. I, I think it's the offensive line. It, it just... And I, I mentioned this in the article today, and for those listening yesterday, um, the amount of injuries per season is is, is becoming. I wouldn't say becoming is just far too normal. Like Dan, do you remember a season where we didn't lose at least a couple like very important pieces uh, by like the halfway point? Um, I mean, I can't remember exactly the details of like the the Texas Bowl team, but I think they were mostly intact. Um, they just weren't like great, but they you know, got the job done. I, I'd say that those couple years there, um, I feel like we were, we, you know, obviously you're always going to have injuries in football, but I think those couple teams uh, were mostly okay. But the, the last three years um, have just been a disaster. It's a Metzian uh, inj- level of injuries. Um, I don't know if it's something, I don't know. I don't like to point blame at like training staffs or whatever, because it's, it's very easy to do without like having any details. Uh, but it just does seem like, you know, teams have in, have rashes of injuries for seasons, but this is like a two- or three-year stretch where it seems a little bit beyond the pale in terms of how many guys have gone down consistently. Well, and you trace back even further. I mean, yeah, we had that one Texas Bowl year, but and, and I think that the line was largely healthy, especially during 2012 season, but um, I'd say the first half of Marone's tenure, most of Greg Robinson's tenure, um, it, it was a hell of a lot of injuries uh, in all the wrong places. Um, and yeah, I, I don't want to sit here and assign blame, but uh, it, it is startling just how much this happens and how many injury reports are filled with names and how many times we're writing X name is out for the season um, as an article on the site every year. Yeah, I, I wish someone would do. I mean, it's probably really difficult to do just based on like how injuries are reported very consistently across the board in college football. But I would almost love to see a study of like, are there teams that definitively have bigger injury issues than others? I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there are. I'd like to see like a kind of a scientific look at it, but uh, that's also like a ton of work. That's a ton of work, but you know what? I, I would, I would venture a guess right off the bat that us, Vandy, Purdue, Rutgers at this point, maybe Maryland, Maryland even before they went to the Big Ten. Um, I'd say maybe Wake. You're looking at the teams that are going to be, you know, undersized for the most part um, versus the elite talent in their division or conference um, teams that might have had to take it a step up in competition. Looking at, you know, us, uh, Pitt, I feel like recruited better than us by, by a long shot when we were in the Big East. So the step up for them wasn't nearly as big. Um, but yeah, I feel like the, that group of schools I named, there's a couple more, Kansas, 
probably be added to that list as well, uh, Oregon State. But teams that are just continually overmatched by better athletes, um, and especially like in the Big Ten and the SEC and the ACC, you're going to find some teams with some much, much larger athletes than you have. Um, I, I think that's where you're going to see the, the, the larger rash of injuries, if I had to guess. Yeah, I think it makes sense. And, and it's hard to really stack up with uh, what Maryland dealt with that one year where they were playing linebackers oh, and quarterback. Although Syracuse came pretty close um, <laughs> the last couple of years. So we just happened to have a, uh, you know, a Zach Mahoney lying around. Well, yeah, we actually had our quarterback for most of seasons. Well, not, yeah. Dungy's actually played the majority of the last two seasons. It's not like Maryland where they were losing, you know, a quarterback <laughs> a week for like five straight weeks. Um, I think it was like two years in a row or something like that. Well, they had guys like Stefan Diggs and Dion Long and uh, uh, Amba Adetawa to throw to. So, like, especially kind of a shot shot to the gut, considering how good those guys are. The waste of Stefan Diggs is one of the most puzzling things in, in recent college football memory. And that's just, like, I'm very hyper-focused and hyper-specific. But, like, Diggs has had enough talent to be one of the better receivers in college football for like a three-year stretch and instead like he was just kind of forgotten about and it seems like he's done done more as a pro though which is what he was supposed to do to begin with yeah i mean he kind of flew under the radar but i'm not totally shocked to see him kind of emerging as a really nice nfl receiver agreed agreed um i'm gonna talk a little bit about the nc state game um dan on the rewatch it was frustrating um the amount of three and outs, the it wasn't even penalties as much this time, as much as it was just it was three and outs. It was the fact that the line collapsed on Mahoney immediately, really got some happy feet and rolling out of the pocket. Um, then he had a tendency to toss up some ducks. Uh, I don't hold that against him because he's not really a passing quarterback. Um, but he also managed to put a couple, I think like three or four passes really on the money. Um, and it was something we saw last year that he was just making, he was just overthrowing those guys. Uh, this time around, uh, Mahoney actually managed to deliver a couple passes right to the chest. Uh, obviously, with some various outcomes, we saw the really nice 81-yard touchdown catch um, from Atatawo. We saw another would, would have been a really nice grab uh, from Alvin Cornelius on uh, that BS um, chop block call. So yeah, I felt like Mahoney's definitely progressed as a passer, but uh, based on the fact that we can't run the ball traditionally, uh, I, I just I think that was about as good as it was to be expected. Uh, from him against the Wolfpack. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting situation because I, I think, based on the last two weeks, like I think Mahoney, if you're trying to win the football game, I think Mahoney is the better option than Austin Wilson. Obviously, we debated whether or not that was what was best for the team last week, and you know we had valid points, I think, on both sides. Um, I, I think one of the probably one of the more impressive coaching things that Tim Lester did here was find an offense that kind of worked for Zach Mahoney. And... That is to say that the offense didn't really have enough of its own identity to, you know, not be worth strapping for whatever Mahoney was good at. Um, so now we have a very defined offensive identity, even when it's, you know, not running at full uh, capacity. Um, so Mahoney's being shoehorned into that, and uh, he's definitely not built for the offense that we're running this year. Maybe if this was like a couple years down the road, it'd be better. But even then, like, he just doesn't quite have the arm. I, I think he's, you know, not the not the accuracy, not the, the pure passer that, you know, Dungey's growing into. Um, but like you said, he actually made some nice throws. I was impressed with some of the throws down the field he made. Uh, the touchdown throw was really nice. Um, he had, obviously, Amba uh, really well, and, and there was some, some decent deep throwing, which is not really a factor last year at all. But the offense just isn't designed to give him a lot to do with his legs, and he's, he's such a crafty runner. Um, it just doesn't suit those strengths, but it's not, you know, we're not like, uh, 2014 or 2015 Baylor where we're going to like just make something up on the fly because we're so uh, in like entrenched in our system that we can go design something like that like we're still learning and still teaching our guys you know what they're supposed to be doing in the primary offense so it's not it's really not worth strapping all of that and going to something crazy for like a one week shot even if it you know is the difference between a bowl game and not a bowl game so um, I think you know it's pretty clear that he gives the team the best chance to win but it's it's clearly not an offense that's designed to his, for his strengths, and it's it's no one's fault. It's just a situation that we're in. Um, but we might have to get used to it. As a, you know, I, I think it's very questionable whether or not we see Dungy down the stretch here based on everything we've heard, which is like not a lot of specifics, but just kind of the vibe doesn't seem like Dungy's you know, all that close to playing 
and I don't know that it's worth risking his health um, for you know the chance to back into a five and seven bowl uh, by upsetting Pitt, which is probably still a pretty long, a bit of a long shot. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think it's gonna happen. Like, I don't think we're gonna see him. Um, I'm sort of okay with it for the most part. I mean, I'd love to be able to to back into a bowl of five and seven, get those extra practices, but. Um, Dungy's still got to learn to protect himself a little bit more. Uh, the play calls for quarterback draws is not really going to help us out much. Um, I, I know that's kind of just necessitated by the system this year, but as we've seen, like I, I love Dungy as a player, but I don't necessarily know if he's ever going to be able to take hits the way you know w- with any sort of consistency without getting hurt. Um, yeah, we don't know what his issue is. I would assume it's something in the neck or shoulder region. Um, he has been on the sideline for the last two games. Um, seems largely okay. Uh, the one thing I've noticed both times, though, is he definitely has a towel on his neck both times, uh, which may or may not indicate something else. I don't really know, and I'm not going to speculate. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the bringing back Dungy for that is silly. And, and at the same time, yeah, putting in Wilson, who... Putting in Wilson probably accomplishes the exact same thing as Mahoney at this point. Like, Mahoney, no, he may not be able to um, do the same things passing the ball, but Wilson, in in a full game's worth of uh, effort, really didn't prove he could do much passing the ball either. Um, And in any case, if Mahoney's going to run the same offense that Dungy's running, and if if he has second-team reps, and it seems like he's had those all season, and it seems like he has a rapport with guys like Alvin Cornelius and maybe some others who could see some increased time as the year goes on, um, that might actually help us out more in the long run. I mean, you and I were pretty concerned about, you know, Mahoney being able to run the same offense as Dungy, and no, he wasn't able to run it as well as Dungy did, but I think he did about as, as good of a job trying as you can. I don't think he set the team back any um, being out there again since he stayed, and he probably won't against Florida State and, and, and almost definitely Pitt as well. Right. Uh, I, I just think he's the move right now, and, and obviously the team really likes him, and you know that goes a little bit of a ways, I think. So, uh, and it's Florida State, so there's if, if Dungy's if there's any question about Dungy's health, which obviously there's a big question right now. I just don't think it's worth it. Uh, the night, the good thing is that it, it really doesn't seem like it's a concussion because he wouldn't be on the sideline. He wouldn't have returned to uh, the sideline after he got hurt. So um, hopefully it's nothing, you know, majorly structural. Uh, it's and it's just something that he can heal up from without, you know, making any real impact on next season if he is out for the rest of the year. Now, if he's you know 100 percent the dome to play Pitt, then then all, by all means. But I just don't think it's worth risking. Uh, further damage on whatever it is. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, is there anything against NC State that stood out to you as, as most frustrating? I mean, the fact of the matter is, the system is good enough to keep a mildly talented team in the game. I don't... NC State had every opportunity to pull away from that game, but didn't. I felt like the defense ended up breaking a few more times than they wanted to, but in the beginning was was just doing a very good job uh, of, of bending. Uh, I felt like they caused turnovers. I felt like they made stops. Um, and then on the offensive end, I felt like they were still able to move the ball down the field. Um, not very well, but enough that um, they were within striking distance. I mean, if, if that cop block hadn't happened, you're, you're potentially looking at a tie game in the fourth quarter. Um, and I think that in and of itself is pretty miraculous, again, considering the injuries and considering how little time Mahoney spent with the first-team offense all season. Yeah, it's tough to get too uh, worked up. I think the defense, you know, played fairly valiantly early, and I think just kind of those short drives uh, on the offensive end, the quick three and outs, really hurt them, um, which is obviously a risk that you run with this offense, especially when your offense doesn't have its quarterback, uh, You and you're still trying to run at a similar pace. I think these were probably a little slower this week. I haven't looked at the numbers. Um, yeah. Well, the total plays, they only ran 53 plays. Which okay, so it was pretty a decent bad. amount slower. But yeah, the average snap time, I think, was about four seconds slower. Yeah, so it was a combination of like quick, quick drives being uh, killed, and then uh, you know, you're know you just not going to have the same consistency when you're, you, know, you have your backup quarterback, and that's to be assumed. Um, 
So I, I, I struggle to take too much away from either side. The defense, you know, it struggles in the ways that it struggled all year. I think they were probably exacerbated based on the situation. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't want to take too much away from it. It's, it was just, you know, a, a crappy circumstance. And unfortunately, they couldn't get the win, but they held in. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty close game late, so yeah. you had a shot. Yeah, and I think that's all, you know, we could really ask for. I mean, ideally, yeah, it would have been great to be 5-5 five and five, um, and then not really have as much stress on the team if, if a ball was in the cards um, in those last two games, but didn't happen. Uh, I, I think this year, uh, not that we're in gravy territory, uh, but I think we're close to it, where anything that happens, especially given the injuries and especially given Dungy's absence, anything that happens past 4-8, and eight, I think we'll take, which, which you know, that, that's a luxury that Babers gets in year one, but I, he's not going to get after that, despite the fact that the schedule doesn't necessarily cooperate. Yeah, I think that's fair. I will say uh, if there's a positive, it might be that uh, I think Cole Murphy hit all of his tips, right? He did. He was two for two, and both of them were past 35 yards. Yeah, all right. Take that. And, like, they weren't just good. Like, they looked really good. Yeah, no, like, no, no issues. So that was good. Yeah, unfortunately, the final game is outdoors at Pitt. So we'll see how that goes, and we'll see if there are any field goal tries against Florida State. Um, but, yeah, that was definitely a sign in the right direction. I think he'd missed something like either 6 of 9 or 7 of 9 um, tries. So it was good to see him, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's not completely back on track, but good to see him get closer to the track. Yeah, um... Yeah, that pit game, like, I don't hope you know, who knows if he'll be, how much he'll be needed, but I feel like that pit, every time we go to pit, it's just, like, the most, <laughs> like, unwatchable, brutal, unwatchable. I've been to, like, two of those games, awful, just not good, especially when a bull's on the line, the the old, like, 20, uh, 2011 year, uh, yeah, Chan Jones not being able to make it in the end zone because he was, like, playing on one leg and picked off that pass that probably would have won the game, um, just... Really bad, and, and really rough to ride home six hours from. Yeah, I was just watching in my room in San Francisco at the time, and uh, I just, I was just so dejected going in that, like, I I was just numb to whatever happened that entire game. <laughs> and uh, speaking of numb, uh, Dalvin Cook and Florida State coming to town. Who boy. How many yards does Dalvin Cook run for? Um, I'm going to go 178, but he won't play most of the fourth quarter. Uh, I'm going to go 230, and Ooh. I also don't think he plays in the fourth quarter. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I feel like you know, Dalvin's going to pound us, especially without Clark. Uh, now we have a, I mean, we, we had an experienced defensive line. Now we have a very inexperienced defensive line. Um, I'm very concerned uh, with our ability to stop the run. You know, Florida State's a pretty solid team on the ground, especially with, when Cook's healthy. Otherwise, you know, they're not as great. I think, you know, Jock Patrick, 49 carries to 300 yards, a solid average, but he's not going to get the ball as much as Cook. Cook's a workhorse, and Cook is a guy who he can either beat you outside or between the tackles. Um, we've We haven't seen him... Since two years ago at the Dome, right? Because we didn't use last year he was out. Was he? Yeah. I don't remember. Not that that mattered because Scott Schaefer decided to game plan for uh, a starting quarterback who we were told all week would not play and then got (laughs) roasted by a backup quarterback for about 450 yards through the air. But whatever. Yeah, I think we definitely gave Sean McGuire his career game, right? Like, that's a thousand percent. Yeah, Sean McGuire's got that, like, entire game, like, in a vault. That he'll eventually like hang on his wall, like frame by frame. <laughs> because yeah, I mean, when that was a game with the awful uh, like miss like the touch the Florida State touchdown where there was a million missed tackles. Oh yeah, yeah that game. I mean, that's really where that game is going to be uh, immortalized. We've actually the Syracuse defense has done a nice job of of being a meme for the last two years. <laughs> and what else? You know, that's all you can really want. Yeah, it's, it's meme aspirations. Perfect. <laughs> That's what I want from my defense every year. Um, anyway, 
Looking down the roster, uh, Florida State fans don't seem thrilled with DeAndre Francois. I, I've i seen both sides of that coin, so I understand their frustration, especially given, um, I think, Reed, like, Everett Golson didn't play too bad, uh, poorly at all last year. Um, he was just—he just didn't move the ball. Like he was no. just so, so non-dynamic, which is not what he was supposed to be. Well, it's also coming off like Jameis Winston was just like a very dynamic player, e- even even in his like second year as a starter, where he just he wasn't as accurate or crisp. Uh, you saw that you knew the talent was there, and you knew what he was able to do, and he was still able to put points on the board. And, and I think. Yeah, the step back to Golson, and then I feel like this might seem like a step back now, but I feel like Francois, um, I think Dylan from Tomahawk Nation in our Q&A today had said he's like a slightly better EJ Manuel is his ceiling, which, I don't know, I'll take that. I, I, I like Francois. I, you know, I think it's tough when you've seen freshman Jameis Winston, right. and then you go to like Francois, who's just, you know, a very above average for a freshman quarterback, yeah, he's uh, versus like one of the greatest seasons ever and also a freshman quarterback. Um, so yeah, they're probably a little spoiled by that. And it's Florida state, you know, they've had a lot of success recently, so I, I can see where, where you get spoiled, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm not thrilled to be playing him. I think he has all the talent. He makes the one thing you like, you cannot say about Deandre Francois is that like, he's not tough because that dude gets lit up every game. Uh, he's probably thrilled about this game because his odds are it won't zero. Be bad, but like, <laughs> Yeah, that guy gets killed every time they play anyone with a pass rush, including like the Clemson game where they almost won, the Ole Miss game in week one. But he just takes so many big shots, and he just stays in there. And it's like Sean McGuire must be like, what, what, what has to happen for me to get some run? Because he takes more big licks than like anyone else in college football, and he just he keeps going out there, and he, and he throws a really nice ball. I think he's going to be really good in a year or two. So, uh Unfortunately, this year when we're rebuilding and learning a new system is when we get him as a freshman. So let's, uh, yeah, let's not think about that too much, I guess. All right. Uh, before halftime, um, Dan, I don't think this is going to go well for Syracuse. I've got us losing by 25. Uh, where's your head at right now? Oh, uh, I haven't even thought of a score. Um, let's go... It's at the Dome, right? Yeah. I like, kind of forgot about that until today. Let's go Florida State 41, Syracuse 14. All right. Yeah, I mean, Florida State's defense, I'm definitely hot and cold on. It's not great. but It's not great, but it's it's good enough to put a stop to us, especially with Mahomes. Like, I'd honestly, I'd entertain a much closer game with Dungy. With Dungy, I think it could be like a, a two-touchdown game. I think it would be fairly competitive. Yeah, the, the closest, in the, especially in the the closest one yet. Between these two teams. Could have been. But, Could have been. Yeah, this is the one team we haven't really put up. I mean, the one out of the ones we play every year. Like, we obviously haven't beaten Clemson, but we've come quite close twice for whatever reason. The A.J. Um, Long game against Florida State two years ago wasn't bad. I mean, the uh, final score the final score was, was not great. You know what? You're right. It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, but I wouldn't say we like put a, a stare on. No. no. But we, it was we, a decent we, game. Yeah, A.J. We, Long played pretty, pretty well in that game. Yeah, that was he a Steve uh, game. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so we played them tough that game. Last year was a disaster. The first year, the Jameis year, was an absolute disaster. Oh, um, hangman game, of course. But they, they murdered everyone that year, so how, how bad can you feel about it? Uh, every, yeah. game, every game against them has, has, has a, like, the blank attached to it. You have, <laughs> you, you have the hangman game, you have the Steve Ishmael game, which is a positive one, and, and then, you have, uh, then you have the gift game, which is, which is not a compliment. Oh. What sitcom is it that was like the one with the like for all the episodes? Is that Friends? Yeah, it was Friends. I think it was Friends. Yeah. <laughs> the the one with Jameis Winston putting up fifty five points. Yeah, that one. The one, the one with AJ Long looking okay. Looking, looking like a college quarterback. Anyway, uh, that brings us to halftime, Dan, uh, where we can talk about the things that we drank to wash down another Syracuse loss, or cele- undefe- or, or celebrate a Syracuse basketball win. Either one. Beer is undefeated. Um, Beer is always undefeated. Yes. Uh, So I had a a couple decent things. Nothing new this week, but uh, I had uh, both the Two-Hearted Ale and the Amber from Bell's. Uh, Two-Hearted is obviously a standby. Amber is pretty good, too. Um, 
not like the greatest amber of all time, but Bells doesn't really make, I don't think they make anything that's like bad. Um, so that was enjoyable. Uh, I, I had uh, Omegang Wit, which I haven't had in a while. That was like one of my like legit, I always ordered that at Fagan's back in the day, and now I feel like I see it a lot, so I don't end up ordering it as much, but I got it uh, over the weekend, and that was great. Um, and then the definitely the headliner this weekend was I got my hands on a bottle of Happy Birthday from Alpine, yeah. which you know you can find a little bit around here, but not that much. But it's you know definitely one of the better IPAs. I also like that apparently it's labeled a session, but it's like five point nine percent. I'm like you, you ain't no session. <laughs> <laughs> Liar. That is false advertising. That is not a session beer at all. <laughs> Still love it though. Yeah. So those were the the highlights for me this weekend. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, swung down to the brewery late last week, had to pick some stuff up, had a uh, traveling plum from uh, them. It was an interesting one. It was a sour ale uh, that was kind of like salty and spicy uh, with dried plums. Uh, so not like a traditional ale, but brewery likes to make some weird shit sometimes. Um, also had this year's Autumn Maple. That's their uh, kind of 10% uh, fall beer. It's got some... Some yams and some sweet. I think they purposely didn't put pumpkin, but it gets close enough. I uh, had a Swami's IPA from Pizza Port. Had, a, had my first celebration from uh, Sierra Nevada of the year. Plenty more to come uh, as I have a six-pack of it in my fridge as we speak. Um, and then I also had a bottle of Black Tuesday from this year from the brewery uh, that a buddy and me split. I actually haven't even drank my bottle from last year, so maybe I'll open that one in the next uh, next month or so. And I have another 2016 bottle, too, so we'll see. I don't really think... I mean, I haven't aged any of theirs more than a year, but we're coming up on a year for the 2015 bottle now. Um, and also had a uh, Velicor with raspberries from Monkish. They, uh, it's one of their sour blondes that they uh, fruited. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned on here, I think I did the... It was the boysenberry one. I had the raspberry one to, uh, yesterday, and then sometime soon I'll have the other bottle. It was an apricot. So, yeah. Uh, decent amount of drinking, all good stuff, and plenty more to come next week. Very nice. Indeed, indeed. Speaking of very nice things, uh, Syracuse basketball. We, uh, we thought things were going to go well. They have gone more than well. Uh, Syracuse looks... Like they could take all comers at this point. Am I am I overselling us, Dan? Um, I think we could take definitely most comers. Uh, this team's really good. Or, you know, we we played two. You know, we played Colgate and Holy Cross, but but we've looked bad on, against teams like that before. Yeah, like you can still kind of understand where a team is, and you know, obviously, like in years past, we've been like, oh, we'll beat this team by eighteen, and that's fine. Like we are lighting teams on fire. We're playing. Good D, even though you can tell the D is not like where it needs to be 100% yet. Um, the offensive, like the dynamic offense of this team is awesome. You still even have like Tyler Lydon hasn't really gotten it going yet. And he, you know, he looked a lot better than Holy Cross. But it's not even like everything's clicking and, and, you know, like you've hit the peak. Like this team's going to get better. Um, but man, like they just, they're fun to watch and, and really, really impressive. Yeah, I mean, they play with pace. They're spreading the ball around. I think that's the big thing for me, too, is, you know, in the season preview episode, we were talking about, um, you know, is this team going to be able to to spread the ball around? Are they going to be able to, um, you know, find out who the scorer is? I mean, just like you said, this isn't a team that's going to have, you know, quote-unquote, the scorer every night. But, you know, Andrew White seems to be, as as we said before the season, you know, knocking on 18 to 20 points a night. Uh, Tyus Battle... Depending, it is kind of close behind. I know Tyler Roberson, surprisingly, has been able to put up points. Um, Gillen, Leiden obviously seemed to, to to get better in Game 2. And then Frank Howard um, it seems like a guy who's an entirely different player um, you know, from a season ago, which just has such a huge impact um, on this team's ability to kind of move forward with you know, some of the old guys from last year, um, as well as all the new faces that we're seeing that hope to bring this team back to a Final Four. Yeah, the Howard turnaround is probably the early storyline, aside from just the fact that you have nine guys playing 13-plus minutes, uh, which is just like a total, you know, it, it turns the Syracuse basketball thing on its head. Uh, and I, again, this is two games, but like, Daywon Coleman's the, the low-minutes guy by five. I don't, Daywon Coleman's probably going to start every game if he's healthy. 
Like, so, and it's not like he's you, uh, a freshman who was just being thrown in there and then pulled. Like, they, I don't know who you take out of this rotation. And history tells me that you take at least one guy out of this rotation. I don't know who it is. Um, just don't do it this year, Jim. Just, just play everybody. I'm fine with that. I would love that. Um, especially because, like, you, when you have, I mean, I think when you have nine guys that can play and you don't have to play any of them 30 minutes a game, like, that's a good, that's a good problem. Um, I think Torian Thompson's like the, the easy candidate and he's looked really good. He's probably the best pure post player on, on offense. Um, he's, you know, shown a, a really nice array of moves down there. Uh, you're not going to pull, I mean, Chukwu's going to play. Um, he, he's averaging two blocks a game. He's not much of a store, but you can even tell like when he's gotten like really under the basket, he's had some, some nifty stuff down there. He just, you know, it's never going to be his offense. He's just not that guy. Um, but then like, the, the, the top six stores in this team are it's it's as impressive a group as I can remember um, outside of like the seven man like bash unit that we had in 2010 like White Roberson especially when Roberson's like locked in which he's looked really good so far um, Lydon Battle Howard Dillon like and and especially with like Frank Howard I don't think any of expect any of us expect him to be a, a big time storer and you know he's averaging nine points a game in 21 minutes which is pretty pretty damn good. Um, the fact that he could even, like, the fact that you, you can rely on Frank Howard to be an offensive uh, weapon that somebody needs to worry about, and, you know, if not, he can put up 15 points, like, that's huge. Especially because he's, he's an awesome passer. Um, he's starting to knock down the three a little bit. I don't think that's going to be a huge part of his game, but he's a threat out there, which is, you know, all you need to, like, really have this floor space effectively. Um, I, all those dice can shoot except for Roberson. It's, and even him, it's a really even him. He, he, he suddenly yeah, turned the corner where he knows how to how to finish at the rim. At least, I mean, not completely. We saw some misses in the first two games by him, but overall, he's still able to finish at the rim. And he's someone who, you know, really changes the dynamic for Syracuse, especially, uh, you know, because if, if you have your big man on Coleman or Chukwu, and then you decide to to shift Roberson, and you have Roberson at the four, who are you sliding over? to beat him inside. I'm not sure there's anyone. Right. If he, if he's confident and goes up with authority, um, like if he, if he could chip in 10 points a game, that's massive. Cause you know, he's in a board, um, you know, he's, you know, athletic and will, and will play solid D he's been in the zone for, for four years now. Um, Andrew White's, I think as good as we could have hoped, like he's averaging 18 points in 27 minutes. That's awesome. Um, he's fit in like perfectly. Gillen was an absolute like dynamo la- uh, last night. Um, really awesome to watch so it's hard to not be really excited about what's going on so far yeah i mean looking at these field goal percentages and i know uh james put up that article today about you know shooters are even better than expected i mean uh white isn't even in the top five in terms of shooting percentage right now and he's hitting 50 percent of his shots roberson's hitting 70 percent gillen's hitting 69 percent uh, Frank Howard's hitting 78% of his shots. Thompson's hitting almost 55% of his shots. Lydon's hitting 54 Like, yes. The only guy who's struggling is Battle. And yeah. I'm not that worried about Tyus no, Battle. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, same. Like, you can, you can adjust for the opponent, sure. But, like, we've seen, we've seen very good Syracuse teams in the past that aren't putting up these numbers against these opponents. So, to me, I, I think that, you know, as there's more cohesion, as they learn the system more... Um, we're certainly going to see even greater results from this group. I, yeah, not to get ahead of myself, but I, I've rarely been this excited uh, about a lineup this early in the season, and I'm very much looking forward to like Monmouth. I think is the step above Colgate and Holy Cross. We'll see how much of a step, uh, but but I'm very much looking forward to seeing what they can do against Monmouth, um, whose name is I don't know. Oh, the Hawks. I had like Mountain Hawks in my head, but I knew that was Lehigh or whatever. Or some other school, I don't know, but they're the Hawks. If you were wondering, yeah, I think Monmouth's definitely a nice step up. Um, that'll tell us a lot. I, they, I think Monmouth took South Carolina down to a wire last night. I think they actually went to overtime, or they were very close to going to overtime. Let me check. Um, and South, yeah, and South Carolina also blew out Holy Cross. So, like, you can kind of start to piece together like some comparisons for that game, uh, which is coming up uh, next weekend. Um, yeah, I just. It's it's tough. Like it's such a different team because even like years past where we've played, you know, eight or nine guys in these early games, the ninth guy is not getting like a ton of major minutes. 
and you kind of know who's going to be pulled. Like, you knew in 08, 09, like, Chris Joseph was going to play some spot minutes here and there, but in big games, he's not going to get in. Like, these guys all look like they're they're very much in the game plan, and Bayheim wants to use them. Um, and depth has been such an issue for a couple of years now, uh, and, you know, especially depth on the inside. Like, we have four guys we could probably get away with playing at center. Uh, obviously, Coleman and Chukwu, but, uh, you know, I bet we'll see a couple and at center in spots, probably not every game, but, but you know, if they want to go small ball. And then you could probably stick Thompson there and be okay for a couple minutes here and there if there's foul trouble. If you have four guys who can play the five, like, you're in really, really good shape. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of teams that uh, that can say that in uh, in college basketball. And again, to be one of them. Most don't have two. Right. I mean, <laughs> most most Syracuse teams have not had two um, in, oh, in no. the past. Yeah, so the fact that we're able to kind of count ourselves in that very elite group. Uh, is, is certainly great. I know I wanted to to bring up too. I get um, I don't know if you do. I get from TeamRankings.com. I get like this uh, predictions update where like they have the season simulated and kind of give you percentages on likelihood of things. Um, they were saying as of right now that SU is projected to finish twenty four and seven, thirteen and five in the ACC. Uh, going into the game yesterday, their odds of making the NCAA tournament were seventy five percent. So sorry, not yesterday, Tuesday. Oh, no, that yesterday was Tuesday. Yeah, their odds going into the Holy Cross game were 75%. Now their odds of making the NCAA tournament are up 11% to 86%. Um, their metrics say that Syracuse is the number eight team in the country, but the number five team in the ACC, which goes to show just how deep um, this conference is, and uh, they project a 93% uh, chance to beat Monmouth. Um, also have a 10% shot to get an automatic bid. We're projected to have a three seed, and we have a 15% chance to reach the Final Four and a 4% chance to win the NCAAs, which is one of the higher marks that they have for anyone. So, again, that's just one uh, methodology for predictions, but it's a very good one um, for at least our psyches right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when we did our preview, I think I had like twenty four and seven and thirteen and five. So I feel better. I mean, I felt good then. I feel better about everything than I did then. So um, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a very, very competitive team at the top of the ACC. I, obviously, we need to see Duke. Duke has not played um, with anywhere near their total full team yet, and who knows how much of the, that'll get back. I know there are some legitimate injury concerns with Giles, especially uh, over at Duke. Um, but they just took a Kansas team to the wire with three of their top four guys out and Grayson Allen playing hobbled and poorly. Um, so that's terrifying. But uh, the Syracuse team, like, the the scary thing about Syracuse is they should still gel. Like, two of these guys, or I guess really three or four of these guys did not play. Like, Chuku was on campus, but you have White, Gillen, uh, and Thompson, and Battle, so four, uh, who were not part of this team last year um, in any capacity, and they are going to get better. They're going to get better in the zone. Um, they're going to learn the offense better, although uh, this offense, you know, is, is looking at a pretty uh, – it looks pretty good. Like, it, flow-wise and just, you know, ball movement, everything looks, looks really sharp so far. So uh, I would not be super excited about playing Syracuse if I was a, a team going forward, uh, especially if you're a team named UConn, because holy crap. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about that. UConn's trash – through two games doesn't mean they'll continue to be trash but it means that they're definitely trash right now which i really enjoy though it's not going to help our rpi at all no hopefully we're in like a post rpi uh, state of being uh this year um i made the joke on twitter and a lot of people enjoyed it but yeah uconn who they they've played wagner who's supposed to be like a, a contender for their conference so they're maybe not not terrible and northeastern who knows if they're good or not you know, maybe those are two better teams than what Syracuse has played, but Syracuse has won their two games by about 40 points. UConn has lost both of those games. That's yeah. not good. When you're, when you were the, what, the preseason number 18 team in the country? Not anymore. Not, not great. <laughs> no. Preseason's gone, guys. Sorry. <laughs> oh, UConn. Um, they can't store. Like, no. it's Jalen Adams, and man, like, that, the offense is bad. So Syracuse, I look forward to that Syracuse game. Syracuse feast on them, which I'm really looking I forward hope. to. I <laughs> hope. I hope. I mean, I did watch the Syracuse team, which went to a Final Four, lose uh, to St. John's at the Darden last year. Um, so I don't know that UConn's going to be as bad as that St. John's team, um, but I will be in the Darden for that game too. So I'm hoping it's not a repeat, unless it means it's. A, I mean, I don't know. 
would you sign for losing to UConn this year if it meant that UConn went like eight and twenty five and that we went to the Final Four? Yeah, I think I would right. have to do that. <laughs> I think that'd be a fair trade. <laughs> I saw what was it? This is like their first zero and two start since nineteen sixty eight. Something like that. Has Syracuse ever started zero and two? Probably. Oh, probably. Nineteen sixty. There's probably like some like really early season. <laughs> In tournament or something where we weren't very good, I'm sure there was. Yeah, like one of those one of those seasons like before the Helms Foundation championships. <laughs> Nobody talks about them, but we have a couple titles back then too. We do. Was Hang, 19, banners are up. Was it 1912 and 15 or something? So uh, I think they were close. I think they were like 32, maybe something like that. 20s, mm-hmm. 30s. They were early, but they count. That's fine. Other people count them. Yeah, Kentucky counts a million of them. Yeah, Kentucky basketball is the Bama football of college hoops. So yeah, whatever we can we can we can tack on a couple more. It's fine. I mean, Rutgers t- counts the eighteen sixty nine championship for football. <laughs> they do do that when when they went one and one against Princeton. But whatever, like you you do you Rutgers. We'll uh, we'll be over here doing doing other things like not getting destroyed by like the third worst team in the Big Ten this year. <laughs> anyway, oh. um, that's a good segue. Not that Rutgers is near a college football playoff berth, but Michigan State had a college football playoff berth last year. Um, so, yeah, we could talk about that a smidge uh, before we move on from this week. Syracuse basketball, it's tough to really over-preview these, uh, these terrible opponents too much. Um, so, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into more detail as the season wears on, I promise. Uh, but the playoff, Dan... Um, one thing really stuck out to me, and that was the fact that uh, Western Michigan is now behind Boise, uh, and that if Washington, Washington State keeps winning um, and Boise finds its way into the Mountain West Conference championship game, uh, that's going to continue despite the fact that they have a loss and uh, Western Michigan does not. Yeah, that's tough. Like, Western Michigan, if they go undefeated, should get that spot. I know Boise's probably, like, better by most metrics, but it's hard to really compare. Western Michigan, like, they've had some sloppy games, but they just look really good. Um, and it, it's t- like, I would feel terrible for those guys if they ran the table, won the match championship, and uh, and didn't get that near six bid. Um, Maybe so, the good thing know. is The good thing is that right now Boise, Boise would get eliminated from contention by way of losing the tiebreaker with Wyoming. That is true. And, uh, and you know, there's no guarantee they would beat San Diego State. Right. And, well, I San guess Di- th- there is then the question of... With San Diego how, State. How, yeah, how high can SDSU climb when they could potentially be 12-1 and one for the second straight season? Yeah, there was something like that last year. I was actually kind of surprised they didn't, like, come close to sneaking into the back end of the rankings this week. But, you know, you they had to get your... AP. Uh, yeah, they were like twenty four, twenty five in the AP. But, the playoff but of course, in the playoff, yeah, just super. The lazy. playoff, you need to like Stanford. You have to do so damn much. Yeah, Stanford's in there now. Stanford's one of the Stanford's top twenty five teams. It's garbage. Stanford's looked better this year, like in the last couple of weeks. But it's not like they look like oh, they've turned it around. Like they Where's Troy? looked a little better. Yeah, Troy should be in consideration there. Uh, is Troy still? They're not undefeated. They have one loss, right? They also yeah, they lost to Clemson by, by like six. three points. Yeah, six. and quality, then they quality losses. If we're looking at quality losses, where's Troy? Free Troy. Hashtag free Troy. Um, yeah, that's it's. I don't know. It's definitely lazy, and there's just no the the, the G five teams have no representation, and I get it. Like the Power Five, you, you to for a G five get in, like you have to basically have been Houston running the table this year and getting help, just based on the schedules. I, I totally understand it. But, like, you can throw them a bone at 18. 18 doesn't matter. Like, some, yeah. get, get, just give them some, some help in the back end and, like, at least show that you're paying attention. This really should be a top 16. I know for the, uh, the Football Writers Association, and I don't get to vote in it because, like, for some reason there's, like, a more elite group within the Football Writers that votes on this one, like their Super 16 poll or whatever. <laughs> and, yeah, like, I don't really care. But point is, the Super 16 makes a lot more sense than this. All it does is just create narrative because then you say, oh, this team moved up from here to here, or this team moved up from here to here. Like using a top using top twenty five wins um, as a metric is also like this silly, like kind of self fulfilling prophecy. Because yeah, if you keep moving teams up, people just like 
let's say number 26 was Troy, and the line between Michigan and Clemson was top 25 wins, well, like, you're saying that a win over Texas A&M or one of the other teams right at the bottom was really that much better than a win over the 26th best team? Or the fact that, you know, if... I know if Florida wins out or if uh, Washington State wins out or, like, Colorado wins out, that the teams that they're beating are going to get knocked out of the top 25. So them winning hurts their resume. I'm just... This is why the primary driver should always be a, uh, a new metric ranking and then it's enhanced by a committee instead of what we're seeing here. Like, it doesn't have to be, you know, a pure play strength of schedule or whatever their strength of record crap is or, you know, something like an S&P Plus. But it would be nice to have a number to go off of. And then, you know, we use the people as kind of a tiebreaker when, when there are statistical anomalies, which there can be. Yeah, especially if you're going to switch things from year to year. And, like, week even to week. week to week, yeah. um, it makes it really tough to, like... And I think there's a... There's a lot of issues. I think the whole way that college football is scheduled is now so counterproductive, because especially when you had your, your postseason switch on you uh, in a pretty quick fashion. It's not like the playoff was announced like five years before it happened. Um, so now you have games that were scheduled like towards the end of the BCS when you thought that, that was what was de- de- you know determining things. And obviously there are some similarities in terms of what's valued and what isn't. But it just seems like they just. I think they would be do a uh, go a long way to finding uh, a cap or something in terms of scheduling new games. I don't know how feasible that is, but you have teams just scheduling games so far out, and it's impossible to know where you are as a program. Like Syracuse has this issue for a number of. I mean, they they don't hurt help themselves at all, but like Syracuse would be so much better off if they could schedule like a year or two in advance and like actually know what the situation was. Like, why can't there just be like a a week weekend where all the ads go together? you know, have some coffee, have some beers and figure out, you know, who, who makes sense for me to play this year. And then just do it. Like college basketball doesn't like that. Like you pick your games uh, less a couple months out. It just, I think it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre that, that they haven't figured that out. And, and I saw, you know, today we had, uh, I think it was announced that, that uh, Miami and A&M are scheduled for like 2023. I saw someone retweet, I don't think this was today, but I saw someone tweet uh, that there's games for, I think it was, it was Rutgers and someone are scheduled for like 2030. Like the kids scheduled for 2030. I know that. Yeah, the kids that are playing on those teams are like four years old. Like it's insane. You just don't know what your team's going to be, and so you get like USC playing Alabama this year. USC would be in such better shape if they didn't have that Alabama loss to start the year. And obviously they were they were really bad after that, and they've turned it around. But like if USC had just played a normal team that first week, and they could have maybe eased Sam Darnold in, maybe found found out he was a much better option earlier. Like, they could be on the playoff race, and now they're, you know, if they're in it, it's like the fringiest fringe team in it. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the scheduling is just a whole mess, especially when you have these criteria now that you're trying to fit, and you have all these different teams trying to reach different objectives. Um, so, yeah, that was just a rant that I decided to go on two minutes ago, and, and here's where we are. That's fine. Yeah, it actually is funny because it mirrors a, a similar rant that uh, Bill Connolly and uh, Godfrey went on um, on podcasting Played Nobody. So I, I will avoid being repetitive of that since I did listen to that episode already this week. Um, but we'll say... I don't think I have, so... There you go. You, you're inspired just we by just life. just channeled each other. Yeah. Uh, I think I probably just listened to them enough where it's... It's expected. Osmosis. <laughs> yeah, if you did like me... I'd say like a two-year buffer I could go with. Like only a schedule. Yeah, you kind of... I mean... Guys two years fall, at like, a time. Fall cliffs and stuff. But you could figure it out in two years. Like... 12? Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, like, in 2016, you schedule 2017 and 2018. In 2017, you make sure you schedule through 2019. Um, so, like, it would it would move like that. I, I just think that it's plenty of time for people to plan vacations, plan trips, um, facilities to be in order. Um, these things can happen. I, I would very much like, I mean, and not just for the... Actually, it's, it's not like I'm even sitting around campaigning that Syracuse should be excused. Quite the opposite. If anyone who's read anything I've written about scheduling would say that I don't think Syracuse should be excused at all. I think that they should be hammered for it, the fact that they don't know how to schedule. Um, but that said, um, I, I think it would be better for everyone involved. Because, look, like, you know, we, we say we don't know what's going to happen. Well, like, we, we, we've said that a lot about a lot of teams. Like, 
Maryland's recruiting a lot better since we put this you know game on the books for 2018 against them and like Wisconsin it doesn't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon in terms of you know downward motion it seems like they're they're very much on the uptick and now that game in Madison in 2020 sounds even worse for Syracuse even a good Syracuse team so I guess yeah like I I, I would just love a two-year buffer means most of the same players a lot of the same coaches um students at schools can get a little more excited about it just as fans for for certain trips and plan ahead but not so much that you know like i said when you see like a nebraska oklahoma game scheduled for like 2028 or 29 um like you said those kids are four or five years old they're not going to be it's not even a glimmer in their eye what games they're attending as players as students um, mostly administrators involved aren't going to be there either it's a pointless endeavor Only like a handful of the coaches that are, you know, yeah. in place at best. Like how many coaches that are in their turns are? How many coaches in the country that are at schools that have, yeah, that are going to be there in ten or twelve years? Like maybe, three. maybe. <laughs> like it's that's. I mean, I don't even know who they would be. Uh, yeah, I mean we're <laughs> there's only like three or four now, but I don't think you can definitely you can definitely say that those guys are going to be there. Yeah, like is Bob Stoops going to still be at Oklahoma? Probably not. I would, I would say definitely not. Mark Stoops will. Saban be will be retired. Mark Stoops head coach of Oklahoma. That'll go well. <laughs> Saban will be retired. Um, Urban will probably be retired. Brian Kelly will probably have it, you know, combusted. Um, Sumlin has a lot of like. If Sumlin can pull it together without injuries next year, he. Has, I think someone's safe this year. He's safe this year, but like he has like age on his side. Where, like, he's somebody who yeah. can have a lot of staying power, and he's someone who can shape a culture there. Yeah, but then you have to, like, hold off the NFL, which is right. tough. Like, it's so hard to keep a coach for that long. No, it definitely for, like, unless You need everything to go right. Yeah, and, like, Ur- you know, Urban's, like, always on the verge of a nervous breakdown. <laughs> like, that's... Yeah, like, the, I mean, Harbaugh's going to have a nervous breakdown, or, like, he's going to do something that's going to make him not be at Michigan anymore. Harbaugh is like the weird one because Harbaugh could either be there for thirty years or he could leave like Three. tomorrow. Yeah, like... <laughs> hmm, Carolina he's Panthers so... want a coach. He's just so enigmatic. Like I have, I, I could see either of those things. I think there's like even odds that Harbaugh like dies while coaching Michigan, or uh, goes to the NFL like right real quick, or dies like next year coaching Michigan like on the field just from <laughs> sheer just he just wanted it too much. <laughs> How old's Chris Peterson? I feel like he's a candidate to be around. Yeah, he's one of the guys. He's like he seems to really like that that uh, that area, and like it obviously seems a lot different from Boise. But even him, um, I definitely found the wrong Chris Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you find which Chris Peterson did you find? There's an actor. I always forget if Peterson is a D or a T because uh-huh. I know he has E at the end. True. Uh, Chris Peterson is 52. Oh. So yeah, he could potentially be there still. Yeah, it depends on what he does. Watch that might be it. a leading candidate, and that's like that's not a slam dunk at all. Way to go, Chris Peterson. Anyway, before we log off, um, Dan, who is your top four? Do you think the committee was right, or do you think that you have some tweaks in there? Um, I don't really have a major problem with what the committee did. I I think it's tough to really dock. I, I have less of a problem do- uh, with Michigan being in there than Clemson, because Clemson's been like on the edge of a knife for a while now. Right. Uh, Michigan really hasn't been like they've had what two close games and one was Wisconsin. So you're not going to like dock them for the Wisconsin game. And that Iowa was kind of a tough place to play. I was not great, but they're not terrible. Um, so Clemson, I could see you swapping in Louisville, but I, it's really hard to give Louisville the edge when Clemson is a much clearer path to the playoff or to the ACC title and beat them head to head. So I think that would maybe be the one thing. Maybe I would put in Louisville for now and see what happened, but then you know be ready to put Thompson back and have to win the ACC. But overall, I think they, I think you kind of have a, a rough top tier. Um, Washington, I feel like you know they probably haven't been gotten as much respect, and USC is quite good now after we made fun of them like a month and a half ago. And I know and they're the season around. Yeah, since we made fun of them, they've what lost one game. It's, I think it's really that – I think the podcast we had that week, they like, they won a big game that weekend, and I don't know if they've lost since. Just keep um, on rolling. So you're welcome, Trojan fans. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't have a major problem with it. I, I think you can make an argument for Louisville or Clemson, but I think it's really tough to put Louisville ahead of Clemson based on the head-to-head. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think Louisville's had more impressive has more impressive margin of victory and, and just, like, if we're going to go with game control, that's an easy way to <laughs> Louisville. Like, but, yeah, Clemson has the head-to-head win. Clemson has more impressive wins. I think that the win over Troy is kind of sitting in their back pocket, too, to be honest. Uh, as they beat card. Auburn. They beat and Auburn. Auburn wasn't Florida like... State. They beat Louisville. There's, yeah, the, 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 the quality of wins for, for Clemson far outpaces. Um, I would say even outpaces Michigan, really. Um they have the best – Clemson has one of the best resumes. They like, do. Alabama's resume isn't that great. They're just undefeated no. and bludgeon everyone. But if, like, if they weren't winning by 30 points a game, like, you have a real argument. Um, it's just, like, it, they just look so good doing it that it's it's tough. Yeah. So I, I'll have to agree with them. I'm going to go Alabama, Ohio State. I'm going to go Clemson, Michigan, though. Um, and yeah, That's again, fair. Yeah, and that distinction really doesn't matter because Ohio State and Michigan are going to eliminate – or. One of those teams gets eliminated, and I think when one of those teams gets eliminated, if Washington wins out, they're still in as number four. I, I have a little. I wouldn't have a problem with it. I have a little bit of pause just based on the way Washington's been treated this whole time right. by the committee. It just. I, I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be a wrong decision. I just think the committee hasn't shown favorability towards Washington. Um, I just think the conference but, championship uh, bonus kicks in postseason. You have the conference championship, and they would have the Apple Cup, which would be good because Washington State's really good. Um, it would also help them. Much. I don't know. They, they, did Washington play Colorado? No, they didn't, right? No, they, they did not. Okay, so I think it would actually help. I think the best thing for Washington would be Washington, Washington State, State beats wins. Colorado this yeah. weekend. Washington State climbs into like the top 18-ish. Beat Washington State at Washington State in the Apple Cup, which I believe is in on the Palouse. Yep. Um, and then if you can get a USC rematch in the Pac-12 championship, beat them like soundly, yeah, then, then I think you're pretty good. Yeah, then you erase the loss. Then you've yeah. Then I mean that's like what Oregon did a couple years ago, right? They were the ones who did they lose lose the regular season and then beat someone in the championship to yeah. kind of get yeah. So I think that would be a pretty a pretty good argument overall. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens because obviously the time of championships mean so much, um, but it's really hard to project like exactly how much they mean until they happen because that's when like these rankings can jump like you know the ohio state we, we don't have that much information in front of us but we've seen the ohio state jump from a couple of years ago last year i think stuff was kind of boring down the stretch this um, year is not going to be boring it won't be boring because like the the big 10 championship is is a whole shit show like i i, I don't need to see penn state in this playoff i would kind of hope that that doesn't happen um i actually think but, there's their odds aren't as great as you would think looking at these rankings i uh that, I think that's that's fair. This is a bit and I don't a, think they will beat Wisconsin. No, this is a bit of a self-plug. Um, on the comeback, it should be tomorrow, and for those listening or reading on the blog today, um, I did rank the uh, two lost potential conference champs, um, and there are nine of those. And uh, I had Florida number one, and Penn State, hmm. was, Penn State was down around five. That's interesting. Well, Well, look at Florida's schedule, though. At LSU, at Florida State, Alabama on a neutral site. Do you mean there's chances? Was there ranking the chances for them to win the no, conference championship or like rank? Basically, was saying ranking if 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 all of those teams were able to go unbeaten, what would oh, be their okay. chances to get into the playoff as a two loss team? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I agree with that. Then I thought you meant like a power. I wasn't sure if you meant a power ranking because I'm like I don't think Florida's the best of those teams no, by any no. means. Florida's um, the worst. Of those teams. They might be. They might be the worst. But if they beat Alabama on the table. It'd be right. tough to keep, keep them out. Like, like it'd be yeah, like who really have, tough. Who would have three? Like, as far as like late season impressive wins, like those are three wins that very few teams would be able to even compare to. Yeah, and yeah, to, I, just I don't think we're gonna get a two loss. Go ahead. No, I, I, was no, I don't think we're gonna get like a total chaos situation like that this year. But I do look forward to the year that happens. Like this year's gonna come close. I look forward to the year where we have like three or four, four two loss teams, and it's just like total mayhem. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. I, uh, I think it's going to happen soon. I feel like this year, I think we, we were looking for it to maybe be another 2007. It ended up, I don't think it is. Um, next year, though? I mean, never know. The problem is, as long as Alabama is Alabama, like Nick Saban is the lead for two, because Saban was, at, at, was with the Dolphins that year, right? 
I think so. Yeah, because he took over Alabama in 08. Yeah. So, 08 was his first Alabama year, and then 09 is when he won his first title because, you know, Nick Saban took so, so much time to turn around Alabama. <laughs> and turn around Alabama is always a bit of a misnomer. True. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that year needed Nick Saban not in college football um, to happen. I just don't think that, that we can see 2007 levels of chaos with him on the sidelines. Nick Saban is the constant. He, he keeps everything spinning. He keeps Daniel Faraday from uh, falling into the uh, the vortex of the island. What a guy. Uh, all right. On that note, uh, Dan, thank you for joining as always. It was a good time. Yes, always is. And uh, any parting words for you about Syracuse or anything else? No, uh, I hope everyone's as excited as we are about basketball season because, like, I, I I hope we're not being like too overcome with what we've seen so far, but I really don't. I think that this team is quite quite good, and uh, a nice way to ease out of a interesting um, football season in terms of like I think it's hard to be like overly disappointed, but also it's hard to be like super jazzed. So I think it's uh it's nice that college basketball is here uh, when it is. I would second that. Uh, so everyone thank you for listening that was dan i'm john uh you can rate review subscribe to troy news and absolute podcast on itunes on blog talk maybe on android i'm not sure and uh go orange go orange I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.